0: Today is May 30th, 2021. We're reading the big book of AA, pages 99 at the bottom, Let No alcoholic Say, up until the end of the chapter seven, chapter seven, page 103. Uh, Nancy is gonna be our reader of the text, followed by a 20 minute share from Gary Dean. Um, Gary Dee. Uh, so Nancy, can you read the text? Absolutely. Good morning, everybody. Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. We have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all. We have seen others slip when the family came back too soon. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. When working with a man and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do but urge upon a man's family that he has been a very sick person and should be treated accordingly. You should warn against arousing resentment or jealousy. You should point out that his defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Show them that he has entered upon a period of growth. Ask them to remember when they are impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. If you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulties is worth any amount of criticism. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we are to go into their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There's something the matter with his spiritual status. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap. And even even there, an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to a distant place on the theory that he would escape the alcohol problem. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So our rule is is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, weddings, even plain ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social business or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best, but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If it, if a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are with a person who wants to eat in the bar, by all means go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all of your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. We often need it to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. Some of us still serve it to our friends provided they are not alcoholic, but some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue this question. We feel that each family in the light of their own circumstances ought to decide for themselves. We are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for the spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds that we are not witch, hunt, witch burners. A spirit of intolerant intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. We would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. Thank you, Nancy. So now I'd like to introduce Gary, who's gonna be our speaker today. Gary.
1: Um, Good morning, kids. I'm a recovered compulsive eater um, and a member of the Saturday Solutions Group. My name is Gary. I'm just trying to start my timer. There you go. Um, Good morning. And um, before I say anything else, let me just say if there are any gold star families here, um, that our prayers are with you on Memorial Day and um, God bless. And thank you for your service. Um, uh, so let's see if I have something to say. You know, of course, I had all this stuff running in my head. Uh, here's the thing. Um, you know, the second half of this chapter and where we are now is all really about what we now call sponsorship. You know, at, at the time it was called continuance, it was left over from the Oxford groups where they practiced these things called the five C's. And the fifth C was continuance, which meant you stay, stayed with your man after his conversion and helped him toward the spiritual life. Um, and so we now call sponsorship. Of course, at the time the book was written, they, you know that word didn't exist, it wasn't in recovery parlance. Anyhow, um, I just wanna say before I even get into this, the, the first half of this chapter, uh, in, in my opinion, is in some ways more important because it's about how to get the message that OA exists uh, to, to, to the newcomer. Um, for most of us, by the time somebody gets to us and says, will you sponsor me? Um, They've already at least heard of OA and they've been to a few meetings, and they've had the message brought to them to some extent. And I just want to say, for me, um, when somebody calls me up about sponsoring, I don't say crap until they actually ask, "Will you sponsor me?" Like when they call and say, "Mom, I'm looking for a sponsor," and I heard you care, uh, like I don't say anything until they actually ask the question, um, because I, I think that's an important part of the process. But I just want to say, there's all kinds of ways of carrying the message to people um, who don't know of OA. And I say, I I am one of those obnoxious people. Um, you know, you can never tell who has an eating disorder and who doesn't. But when I bump into somebody who's morbidly obese, I do tell them a little bit of my story. I do say, can we talk for a minute? Like, uh, I want you to know, I I used to be 340 pounds and 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 I'm now 135 pounds lighter and have been this way for, uh, almost 33 years. And, um, and that gets some people interested. You know, it offends some people, um, but uh, this is life and death. You I, mean, I have to choose. Like, am I going to let them die or let them be offended? I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm cool with them being offended. Um, so I do do that kind of, kind of uh, obnoxious stuff. But I also uh, I'm involved with service at uh, you know intergroup and region and world service and. Um, on the PIPO committee and, and if you're new here and if you haven't got to the 12 step yet there's still lots of service you can do through your intergroup to your region through world service um, to carry the message to others and in fact my belief is that for most of us the, the the way we most carry the message is through the seventh tradition you know it's it's to that you know whatever dollars we put in that this group can send big books to newcomers that that there's a, a bulimic in New Zealand or a compulsive eater in Greenland who can go online and find a meeting today um, because of that money. That's a, you know. Uh, and the nice thing about service beyond the group level is it's really pretty anonymous. And it's uh, in some ways more humbling um, than, than watching the new man's eyes sparkle when, when they first find God. Um, The first service I did before the, uh, uh, beyond the group level, before, you know, early on was um, after a couple of years of recovery, the Brown Book came out, the the first edition of the Brown Book. And uh, my intergroup decided to get it into every um, library in town, in in Dade County. Um, And uh, it was a big deal because you're trying to get a book with the word God in it into libraries, including school libraries and stuff like that. So it was really hard, and there was a committee originally of five of us. It was a real pain in the ass, and then somebody dropped out, and somebody else dropped out. There's all kinds of resentment. Don't let anybody fool you. Uh, service is frequently a pain in the ass. Uh, like, like if anybody's ever sat through World Service or even an intergroup uh, business meeting, knows it's frequently a pain in the ass. That's why it's called service, and it's not called playtime. Although it can be fun, anyhow. um we got this eventually. We got this book in, in most, if not all, the libraries. And I, I was the last one on the committee, and I was real full, full of resentment because everybody had disappeared. And, um, but it was a re- real pain in the ass. And like uh, five years later, I was sitting in a meeting in Hollandale, and um, five or six years even, and uh, this young woman got up to share, you know, raised her hand to share and said um, she was puking 10 to 12 times a day and couldn't stop. And she went to a school library and found this book. And the book told her about OA and that's how she found the meeting. And I gotta tell you, man, everything changed for me in that moment. I really discovered what it's like to do, and this was the biggest thing. I did not have too great an urge to stand up and say, that was me, that was me. Uh, instead, I just got, uh, I started crying. It was just, so, I was awestruck by the way God worked. And um, so I just, I just really wanna encourage you um you don't have to wait till you're on the 12th step to tell somebody your experience you know this is my opinion it's not always opinion but you don't have to wait till you're on step 12 to tell somebody your experience of OA you know what you found here um anyhow I'm, I'm wasting too much time on this nonsense and I really I uh, got there's so much great stuff in these three, three pages and I don't want to that no alcoholics say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. They used to attend a men's meeting in another fellowship that opened every day with, open with, uh, burn, the, you know, burn the concept into, the, burn this idea into the consciousness of, your, of every man, job or no job, wife or no job, uh, he can recover you know, regardless of anyone. Um, at the time this was written, of course, getting a divorce was a much bigger deal and keeping the family together was a much bigger deal now everybody I know has had a couple of marriages, uh, a practice marriage and then the real one. Um, uh, I have probably one of the best divorces in the history of divorces. Right? Like my my first wife, who is still my second most favorite wife. Um, my, my first wife, uh, a couple of years into my recovery, uh, said she, she You know, when I came into O.A., she went into Al-Anon. So of course we got divorced. Um, it's But yeah, I think it's part of the Alamo program, I'm not sure. Um, It turns out she had wanted to leave me for years, but she had the kind of illness where she couldn't leave me as long as I was sick. As soon as I started getting well, she felt free to leave me. That's why she was an Alamo. So she said she wanted a divorce, and and here's how self-centered I was. I had no idea we were unhappy until she told me. (laughs) Like, I was this nasty, nasty I don't know what a nice word for it. I was a nasty person. Um uh, you know, she was on the speaker circuit for a while in Al Anon. And I've heard her C D. You know, I've heard her talk about what it was like to live with me when I was in my disease. And man, she talked about just the mood swings, just coming home and not finding what you are not knowing what you are going to find. Like, like one day the cottage cheese goes on this shelf, one day it goes on that shelf, and it's an argument. Like um so anyhow, we got divorced, we had a great divorce. We remained best friends. She died last year, and um, but I supported her, you know, well after our daughter grew up. And um, uh, when she died, I spent the last weeks with her in the hospital, and the last eleven days I lived with her in hospice and was with her when, when she passed. Um, she was like my she was my best friend, um, and we raised a child together. And I and I give the twelve steps credit for that, not OA, frankly, but her program, you know. Uh, she became a much nicer person much quicker than I did. It took me five years just to stop yelling at waiters. Um, so like, uh, anyhow, uh, so the divorce thing. Um, but yeah, grew, through my I, through I divorce, which I thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to me, I was really shocked by it. Uh, I grew increasingly dependent upon my relationship with God. And it was God that healed me in, in, in my ability to be Uh, happily divorced and happily and still love my first wife and I still do he said she's dead but I still love her um on the next page 100 both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress it's a great paragraph if you persist remarkable things will happen you know I sponsor a guy who's doing great and his sponsee is doing great and that's like you know it's really cool that he's doing great but the fact that his sponsee is doing great, I can't tell you. Uh, uh, there's a there's a Yiddish word, uh, just joyful. I, I I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's just if you haven't had that experience, it's worth going through the twelve steps and sponsoring just for the experience of watching your sponsees sponsees do well. Um, a friend of mine says that being part of something important makes you important. You know. Um, being part of OA, participating in this global fellowship, this uh, this opportunity to bring people closer to God, uh, man, is that important? And, uh, and and being part of this just makes us part of that. It's, it's just a great thing. You know, when we realize, when we look back, we realize the things that came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. And this is true, um, at least for me. Uh, I had years where, where I was broke. I had to go bankrupt I had ter- like, and I was still happier than I had ever been. You know, I was more at peace than I had ever been. Um, the preface to the AA 12 and 12 says that the 12 steps are a group of principles spiritual in nature, which are practiced as a way of life. Not have done once and then bragged about for 30 years, but have practiced as a way of life. Will we move the obsession to drink or eat and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole. And that's the deal, happily and usefully whole. And, and God has done that for me. I am, uh, and it's worth noting, especially in terms of the 12th step, that there's a relationship between being happy and being useful. I mean, those are, uh, key points, I man. What, what, uh, oh man, I'm halfway through already. <laughs> um, when working with a new man, uh, try not to participate in their quarrels, you know, of course, I've had sponsees who um, wanted me to be their marriage counselor and you know, I'm remarkably unqualified for that. <laughs> like, on the other hand, if you a little bit further down, it says, if you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomers how that was accomplished. Um, like I said, we solved our domestic problems by getting divorced. Um, and my sponsor at the time, he, he was morbidly obese his whole life. So he was just starting to date. And he gave me the best advice anybody's ever given me. He said, um, find some men in OA, not women, but men in OA who have gotten divorced and stayed abstinent and ask them what they did. He said, don't ask them what you should do. Ask them what they did. But what he was teaching me was how to use the fellowship. And uh, this is a large fellowship. It's global. There are people everywhere who are going through what you've gone through and uh, uh, can tell you what they did to stay well and um, use it. And um, I also want to say in terms of healing, the, like, I didn't come to OA to heal my family, I really didn't. But I come from a severely abusive background. I could have died at the hands of either of my parents There was sexual abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse. That's not why I'm a compulsive eater. I, my friend Rick is right there and uh, he came from, from mom and dad charming and he ended up in the same room I did. So this is not why. I'm a compulsive leader, but this is true for me. And I am able, like the the nine step promises say, I I can use that experience to help others. And um, I share that because men particularly don't talk a lot about their sexual abuse at these meetings. And it's a big deal. And what happened for me when I was doing the eighth step with my sponsor, and um, I was talking about like preparing to make amends to my father, where I had stolen some $5 here and there. and, And my list of what I did to him was like this, and what he did to me was like that, you know, Like my list of father stuff was huge. And my sponsor said something to me that just shook me up. He said, um, he said, why don't you just forgive him? He said, just like that, like casually, like, why don't you just forgive him? And I heard that, like, why don't you just levitate? Like, I just heard that as a, you know, uh, come on, man, forgive him. Uh, and I'm not telling any abusive survivors to forgive. That's up to you. And you certainly have the right to uh, do what you want to do with that, but um, he taught me that forgiveness simply meant surrendering my right to revenge. I'm going to repeat that because people tend to like it. Um, forgiveness is simply surrendering my right to revenge, and that's what I did. I forgave him, and it changed my whole life. It changed everything for me. So I get to talk about how he, how O.A. healed my family. Uh, and in the last years of their lives, my mother and father and I had the best relationship available to us. We, were, we became very, very close. Um, and like I said, I could have died at either of the hands easily. Um, I'm rambling though. Um, oh yeah, about, about not going to movies and not looking at food, not seeing food. Uh, you know, this is tough enough in AA. In OA, if you're going to avoid movies and TV shows and everything that shows food and commercials, you know, I hope you enjoy your life in a cave, but that's where you're gonna to have to go, man. And and even there, some chipmunk will show up with extra nuts. You know, like, there's no, uh, there's no way around this. And and I raised a daughter, you know, and my daughter lived in, in, in my house uh, more than half the time. And I always had food in the house that she ate that I don't eat, and I was just simply taught that's not your food. You know, that's her food. It's not for you. Um, in our belief, any scheme uh, uh, combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed for failure. Here's how I avoid temptation. And this is just for me, I'm not telling anybody else, but for me, I do the uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we used to end OA meetings with that and AA still largely does. Um, I do the Lord's Prayer and that's it. That's how I avoid temptation uh, to the best of my ability. Um, I, I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said, um, I can resist anything but temptation. Uh, I know I can be tempted for a little while, and the 10th step tells me that I will be tempted. Um, but there's a limit to how long I can live with temptation. There really is. I, I just uh, So I do avoid, like, I, I don't find it necessary to avoid uh, food aisles and in, in, in the grocery store or anything like that. But if you're new and shaky, Definitely do that uh, until you're ready. But I got to tell you, I haven't had a craving for the foods I don't eat in decades. Uh, uh, I occasionally want more of what I do eat. That's about it. Uh, I want more of what I do eat. And it's really just a desire. It's not even, you know, the difference between a desire and an obsession is clear to anybody who's ever had an obsession. But um, my sponsor does talk about avoiding being a food voyeur, you know, watching you got to eat with friends, you know, watching what they eat, and kind of getting off on it. And, and it says here, or am I, you know, I'm expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such a place. If that's true, stay away, man. I, I, uh, I, I don't tease my allergy at all. You know, I don't like, I don't romance my, my food. I don't romance the thinking. Um, because if I do, like, I, I don't know if you can see me, but if I sit in a barbershop long enough, I'm going to get a haircut, uh, even me. And this is true. Uh, like, uh, if I romance this stuff, if I let that, like, if you, if you read in, in uh, more about alcoholism, uh, every story that begins the relapse always starts with suddenly I had a thought. You know, Suddenly I had a thought that milk would be okay. Or something like I, He was subject to the belief that so much time and sobriety would give him release. Um, uh, so, I, my thinking, man, is an important part of this stuff. and. Uh, I don't do that food voyeur. Uh, I don't get into conversations about how much I love this or people love that or I used to love this. OA is the only place I know where people consciously try to outsick each other. Like when you go out to coffee with members after a meeting and you say like, I used to eat this, and they go, oh yeah, I used to eat that for warm-up. I used to eat that. And somebody else says, what? Like, <laughs> if you're a newcomer and you're only here to lose 10 pounds, let me assure you, you're in the right place. Uh, They used to say in live meetings, if your ass found a seat in this room right now, you can assume your ass is the smartest part of you. Um, I I would never want anybody to feel they weren't compulsive eater enough uh, to be in O.A. Um, Healthy people seek help sooner. You don't don't have to wait till you're in an iron lung to stop smoking. And you don't have to be 340 pounds to uh, come into O.A. Uh, Anyhow, God will keep you on it. Um, there is a lot of criticism. There's stuff about about uh, about being critical of uh, drinking and stuff like that, and how it throws people off. In a way, there is. Uh, my experience is there's a lot of criticism about pay and weigh places. You know, like uh, like Weight Watchers. I, I don't know if you mentioned that in uh People criticize that stuff a lot, and I think those places are wonderful. I think they're perfect if you have a weight problem. Like if your problem is weight, go there, lose the weight, you'll be fine. Like that's, you know, I I think that's wonderful. It's just not, it doesn't solve my problem. You know, it doesn't, like it doesn't address, you know, I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. and It doesn't treat those. Um, I need OA. But if all you have is a weight problem, (laughs) go handle your weight problem, man. Uh, I think I have like two minutes. Uh, Yeah. And I just wanted to finish this last statement because this is the thing that's really worth After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anything or anybody or anything we have to. The fact that that's in italics tells you how glorious it is. It's just a glorious truth. I came in such an angry man, just um, an argument looking to happen. Uh, like, Like I said before, God forbid the waiter was too slow in bringing me my food. Or anybody came between me and eating my daughter when she was a baby she was crying to be changed when I was binging or watching TV and binging I would change her but I did it with such a resentful attitude uh, I was just an angry angry man and I have stopped fighting her I, I can't remember the last time I gave somebody the finger in a car you know like my first five years were just about rage road rage all rage and now it's like uh, I live at peace with, with God and with myself and with my fellows and uh, I can't tell you what a change of heart that is. Uh, I'll tell you one last quick story. and I know I'm out of time. But just um, I was driving to a meeting up in Hollandale one day on 95, and the traffic came to a stop, a dead stop. Not, not, you know. And I was late, of course, so the traffic came to a dead stop. And that meant there was probably a fatality ahead. And my first thought, not my second thought, my first thought was, God bless those people, please keep them safe. Later, I thought about me being late. Um, and I can't tell you what a change that is in me. What I, like uh, I have been, as it says in the book, reborn. Uh, I can't thank you enough. God, this program and you people have saved my life and given me a life worth, me, worth living. If there's ever anything I can do to return the favor, please let me know. And thank you so much for letting me ramble on for 20 minutes.
0: Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for your share. For those who uh, might have come on after we read the text, we started on the bottom of page 99, let no